And last week we talked about both Paul's defense of the faith and then we talked about his definition of that faith. And then this week we're going to look at Paul's sharp defense of faith alone as the reason for salvation. And we're going to see something interesting here. Paul uses the entire Trinity in the opening section of chapter 3 as he continues to fight the heresy that's come in to the Galatian church. Ephesians 2, Paul echoes it and says, we are saved by faith and not works. And as you look at Galatians, you get, a, you get a breakdown of it this way. In the first two chapters, Paul is giving us his authority and defining salvation in three in chapters 3 and 4, and we're starting in 3 today, we go over the doctrine of salvation and faith alone. And the last two, we go over the freedom that we have as believers in this gospel faith. And then we see something with Paul that we see in other writings too. We see he doesn't just write, you know, in a, in a, in a almost like a college atmosphere. Paul has a mood in his writing. These false teachers were believing Jews, and their statement of faith is probably what allowed them to have access to the Christian believers. And it was a detrimental message that would lead people astray. And we get that, we get that in Paul's writing, how serious he finds it. Paul's message to the Galatians here, it really is a scholarly paper, paper, but he starts off with very harsh words to grab their attention. We're going to see Paul's going to walk these new believers through the Old Testament scriptures to prove, to prove that the doctrine of the point, prove the point of the doctrine of faith alone. Paul's also going to bring it all to the beginning. He's going to use Abraham, one of the fathers of faith in the Old Testament, as an example. Abraham, we know, was a Gentile, called by God as an old man to leave his homeland, travel to a foreign land, trust in God, and he did it. And one of the key points is he made mistakes along the way. But he grew in that faith and trust and because of that, all the nations of the world came to know God because he was a chosen, he was chosen, and a promise was made to him. And I, I think partly because of misplaced pride, you know, it's even common today that Jews believe that if you are a Jew, you're already guaranteed, you're fine. You already are secure in your next life. And and part of that we saw quite a while ago. I, I gave um, my community a link to go listen to a leading rabbi speaking to a convention of rabbis. And the things that come out of his mouth's, mouth were almost, you could equate to fairy tales. It was so bizarre that this religion that started off and told to obey God and trust him and be obedient, much like we saw going all the way through the book of Isaiah, has become a point where even the rabbi speaking 
you know, admitted that the Bible is like secondary to him. It's like, why go through this? It's too hard when they have stuff that's written by man. It's scary, and these people are going to have a rude awakening. And then to look at today's passage, we're going to go over two main points. In verses 1 through 5, we're going to look at a rebuke and a reminder. A rebuke and a reminder. And then verses 6 through 9, we're going to see Paul's positive proof that salvation is by faith alone. 6 and 9, Paul's positive proof that salvation is by faith alone. So let's look at the passage. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before to Abraham, saying, In you all nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we just love you so much. We see you in this Galatian church. We see you as a promise made to Abraham. We're just so thankful for your love and for your never wavering spirit that even when we may drift a little, you're there to collect us when we return. We thank you so much for that. And we love you so much. We thank you again for your word and how it's just there to keep us aware of your promises and help us to grow in our strength. We love you so much. Amen. Okay, so verses 1 through 5, a rebuke and reminder. Now, after Paul went over his authority to bring the message and defend the faith that he's sharing in the first two chapters, he digs right back in again in chapter 3. Paul rebukes the Gentiles for whatever is causing them to be dull and lacking in in their understanding of the wisdom in the message that he brought to them in the beginning. Now, in these first five verses, we're going to see Paul give us five rhetorical questions, and we're going to get one pure per verse. Paul will share in verse 4 that he wants the Galatians to look back and remember their conversion 
experience. And what was that experience based on? A gift of Spirit of God? Or had they just merely gone through and checked all the boxes, went up to God as a teacher and said, do I now get eternal life? Now Paul will be continuing this theological argument against the false teachers of works by stressing that their salvation can only be accomplished by a hearing of the word and the faith that accompanies that hearing. Paul's concern, we will see, is not so much how they begin, but how will they continue a hearing of the word characterized by faith. So let's jump into verse 1. He writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Was it before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, most modern translations will leave out the O and instead write, you foolish. But the O here is intentional and it serves to introduce a rebuke to the Galatians. Now, the strength of this address, O foolish Galatians, with an exclamation point there, is to ensure they know and we know today the seriousness of what they're doing that Paul's addressing. And the interesting thing is you realize Paul only addresses an audience he's speaking to, calling them out by name four other times. And two of them were in 1 Timothy, and they weren't as drastic as this. They were in love and peace to his spiritual son, Timothy. The other two were in Corinthians, and then again in Philippians. So you can easily say this address to the Galatians was like the others in the intensity that Paul was expressing. Paul's asking, who has bewitched you or cast a spell on you? Or even better here in the way he's going to come up next is saying, who has given you the evil eye? to put you under control. And I say that because the evil eye works because when you go into the next sentence, he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul's reminding them again of his open sharing of the crucifixion of Christ. So they heard the message and believed on the message, but now a false message has turned their head away from what they were told. Paul is doing this to show the power of the cross, the power of the cross of Christ, the manifestation of God's wisdom, power, and grace. And when matched up, when matched up against the works of man, these false teachers pale, pale in comparison to God. Verse 2, Paul asks another question about the Galatians' conversion in a way of rebuking them for their being open to even hearing the false message. He gives the Galatians an introductory statement before the question, right? He says, let me only ask you this. And he uses this statement to bring home 
the importance of the question. He says, let me ask you only this. So we know it's all on the line for the Galatians. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's trying to bring home something essential to the Christian theology. When a person is brought to salvation, they receive the Spirit of God. They receive a new heart, and the heart of stone they had is replaced. So Paul's bringing the whole Trinity home here. And it's based on a book he would later write to the Romans, 8, 9, and 10, just to confirm what he's saying here in Galatians. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. This new era of salvation that Paul is a witness of, along with the older, the other apostles now, saw the Spirit given to believers. It is something that had not happened. This was new in this era. But they were aware of it. We saw it even mentioned in the book of Joel. Joel 2, 28 through 39 through 29, my typo. Joel, Joel 2, 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and the female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. And then later... In that same section, in, in 2.32, Joel says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's the gospel message all the way back in Joel. And make no mistake, the Galatians know full well what they have received. Not only because they have the Spirit, and, and they know they have the Spirit, it's because the miracles they've witnessed that we're going to see in verse 5. And the main issue Paul wants to raise in this question is how the Galatians first came to experience God's Spirit. Was it by their performing works of the law or by the means of hearing and experiencing grace? This is the main contrast we saw last week, right? We saw the battle between works or faith. Works meaning that receiving Jesus' work on the cross, and then they state, that was great, Jesus. You did something powerful, but it's not enough. And in some denominations today, they say that's one part. But then we have the power, God, to then choose you. Thank you. So Jesus did one part. Now we have the power to choose you. And that's, that's farther from the truth. We would never choose God. We would never choose God. Paul is moving them to understand that they have a connection in faith. We're going to go over that later. And their connection should be in the same way that Abraham had. 
And it says, but they have not all, all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, and it was quoted by Paul in Romans 10. It says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Now, Paul got that from the famous part of Isaiah in 53. And then he states in, in 17, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus opens, opens the mind of mankind through the work of the Holy Spirit. Man does not decide or choose to obey and then believe in God on his own desires. We all know that the Old Testament has many passages that tell us obedience in God is better than sacrifice, and God desires an obedient people. Hearing God means the faithful receptiveness to his word. This includes the trust that his word is true, and therefore we must have a mindset to know and obey his word. So we can substitute hearing God and obeying is better than sacrifice. Paul is demonstrating to the Galatians and to us that faith is the key issue here. And it is not faith in anything someone tells you, but God said, said but faith in God's true word. So it's not in faith in anything tells you, but it's based on faith in God's true word. And Paul is associating faith with the Galatians, hearing in order to remind them that their initial miraculous response to God's word. So in verse 3 he goes, Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And this, this question is, Paul moves right to the heart of the Galatians' conversion into the faith of Jesus Christ. He reminds them in this one question, have you received grace as a gift of God? And, and that's how you started. And then after that, a tremendous miracle that great people of God and the prophets had looked forward to for so many centuries took place. And then a mere band of, of a, a collection of Jewish men with a false message of adding to this wonderful miracle the works of the law, and it robbed them of their joy. Paul is wanting them to realize that they, they only brought sin, to, and God brought everything else. He brought in Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. And think about that. What else could we add but faithful obedience once that occurred? Verse 4 says, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Paul's next question here, moving to the tough situations they must have endured already for their faith. Some scholars have wrote that the so many things means the pleasant things that happen. But the word used there out of 42 occurrences in the Bible and seven of those occurrences written by Paul 
all show us the word means suffer. So the ESV has it correct there, and they properly translated the word as suffer. And we see later in Galatians, Paul writes to him about this and says, But just as at the time that he was born according to the flesh, just, I'm sorry, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So Paul's pointing out in that verse that the Galatians have shared in persecution as a result of them being called by the Spirit into this new life. And then we see it because while we're in Galatians, we also have Acts. And in Acts 13 and 14, Luke shares the story of persecution that Paul and Barnabas faced in this region. So we see in Acts 13.26, Acts 13.26, Luke wrote about this, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of salvation. And then in 14.19 of Acts it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and have persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But Luke, who also shares the encouragement Paul shared, to, but Luke also shares the encouragement that Paul shared to the believers in the Church of Galatia. And think about what I shared last week. Everything Paul endured, everything he wrote about enduring in the faith to serve his master. With all that horror, he is now using those sufferings to encourage the believers that he cares so much for. Acts 14.22 occurs right after, right after Paul walks back into the city after being stoned and left for dead. And it writes in 14.22, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's amazing. I'd be looking for urgent care. And uh, he walks in and encourages everyone, and he goes on. So I think we lose the magnitude of this event. Faced persecution to death, was spared by Jesus, then came in to strengthen the souls of the believers. What a sight he must have been. Um, and he encouraged them to continue with the faith, saying something they could probably really understand. Hey, persecution and tribulation will come. They'll come to you too. Simply amazing. Verse 5. Does he who supplied the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? In verse 5, for some reason, it seems like all English Bibles leave out the beginning of the verse. It actually starts, therefore or then. And it makes sense since verse 5 sums up verses 2 through 4. And the good thing is the New Revised Standard uses the word, well then. So, and what Paul's doing, he's crafting this because we have what we saw in verse 2. And now... 
he repeats, but he makes a twist to how he asked the question in verses 2. In verse 2, Paul asked the Galatians about how they, how they receive the Spirit. In verse 5, Paul asked now, how did God supply the Spirit to Galatians? Think about that. This false message that the Jews um, would explain to them, the Galatians will remember that they were sinners by Paul's message of Jesus and through the Spirit, their hearts were regenerated. God supplied faith and righteousness at no cost. And of course, they didn't even know anything about Christ so much. So what works could they have done? Paul points out that this faith God supplied was no doubt miraculous, and no doubt they saw many miracles happening in and around this. So he asked the Galatians to evaluate. Did they respond to God by a hearing of works, or a hearing of faith, or by their works? And you've got to imagine the Galatians would have had a light bulb come on because at the moment of conversion, like I said, they had no, they had no experience of works. They were considered Gentile pagans and unclean to the Jewish faith. But in an instant, all that changed. So to introduce a message of man as the key to faith should have been pointless. That's why we get the mood that Paul is in. Another difference in verses 2 and 5 is that Paul is mentioning the Spirit's continuing miracles among them. So it's happening and points us out as a reminder to what they saw in their initial conversion. Five gives us the focus on the nature of a God who gives. He gave the Spirit to them at conversion, and the Spirit continues to work in their life. They are seeing miracles still occur, and it's a perversion of the gospel by attributing it not just to Jesus, but to also to their works. Now let's go into 6 and 9. Paul's positive proof that salvation is by faith alone. 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And here Paul's referring to, to Genesis 15.6. 15.6 says he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Verse 6 is a connecting verse. It connects to the verses 1 through 5 and then to 7 to 9 and then others that are later in chapter 3. Paul wonderfully, wonderfully, I love how he does this, is introducing Abraham into this argument, basically telling them, you know, these men have came, these Jewish men have came, but here, <clears throat> I want you to take Abraham as an example of faith. Paul clearly expressed his question of verse 5 to be answered with the response by the readers to be not by works of the law, but by hearing 
accomplish the faith. This is why he moves on to now the discussion of Abraham. Basically, you can say Paul is generating this based on the people he's competing against for their lives, and he's moving in for the kill here. The men with the false message must have brought up the name of Abraham and tried to use the traditions of the Jewish religion to prove their point. And they must have referred to themselves as the seed of Abraham. Judaism focused on the obedience of, of, of Abraham and especially the obedience that he showed when he was willing to sacrifice his only son after waiting almost a hundred years to have an heir. The false gospel spreaders may have also used Genesis 26.5. They may have used Genesis 26.5 to show that God said Abraham obeyed as the voice and obeyed his laws. But the good point I'm sure Paul brought up is that we all know Abraham struggled in his walk here on earth, like we all do. With the obedience, he gave into the fear of man as he was traveling around other cities and, and didn't trust in God's word to him. We know that Abraham was given a promise to have a child, and then he didn't want to wait. And he went on his own and had a child with a servant and not his wife. So we know that Abraham's works were not the reason, since if the Jewish brothers knew the law, they would have known if you fail in one part, you fail in it all. So we just need to rely on the beauty of the verse, Genesis 15, 6. Abraham had just been given an awesome promise, and he believed. God was going to give him a great reward. And Abraham was concerned that his heir would be a servant since he had no child. And for the man's opinion, there's no way on earth outside of God that Abraham and Sarah were having a child. And what do we know? We know God took Abraham outside, showed him the stars in the sky, and basically said, although you're childless now, I will bless you and your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham, this old man with an old wife, and knowing there is nothing, no works that he could do to fulfill it, just believed, just believed. And then 7, Paul wrote, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Paul's going to use two points that will be vital to his argument against the false message. He will show that people are justified by faith and in the identity as sons of Abraham. 7 opens up with the words, know then. Another way 7 could have opened up is, you understand or you see that, or my favorite, realize that. Paul identifies people of faith as sons of Abraham. Now get that. Sons of Abraham is not an Old Testament expression. And and the one we see 
used often is seed of Abraham. Paul is probably using this expression denoting people who belong to Abraham outside of the family line and therefore participate in being sons of Abraham because of the blessing. And Paul maybe used a son instead of the seed to take advantage of that blessing of God to all who believe and, and not just those who are born as Jews, it, and which is important. Abraham was given the promise as a Gentile, right? He wasn't already a Jew. God was establishing his covenant with Abraham that would include all the nations of the earth. Paul is using this, trying to ensure the Galatians know that they have been brought into this righteousness in with the people of God the same way Abraham was brought in, through faith. Paul's a very crafty writer. In 8 it says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So we see here in verse 8, it is God that justifies the Gentiles, and their claim is based on Scripture, meaning Old Testament Scripture. Paul is stating that his claim that the Galatians are sons of Abraham by faith is backed by Scripture, where, as the false speakers probably have been saying, that the law, only the law, says they are not. A law probably no doubt written by man, adding to the Bible. And verse 8 combines two of Paul's key concerns in this section of the letter to show that justification is by faith alone, and to show that the gift of justification has been extended to the Gentiles. Paul is probably basing this claim on lots of various books in the Old Testament. We know that. We've gone through quite a bit of them over the past several years. But his main claim may have been based on Genesis 12.3. Genesis 12.3. In fact, let's review Genesis 12.1-3 and go over this story. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Paul is saying here that God's justification of the Gentiles, foreseen by Scripture, given by the Holy Spirit, we know that, is the essential content of the gospel or good news. Already, like we talked before, one of the first the few pure passages of the gospel 
was probably not in Mark, Matthew, Luke, or John, but it was in Isaiah. And we see that also in the other parts. So the Old Testament is very worthy of sharing that good news with us. This gospel, he is saying, was announced ahead of the time to Abraham in the promise that all the nations would be blessed. All the nations would be blessed. And Paul is stressing, rightly so, that it is by faith alone that would justify the Gentiles. For we saw how it went with Adam, right? You have everything, just don't eat of this one thing. Failed like we all would have. Abraham didn't do so great either. But the promise, and we saw Abraham continue in his life, in a road you could say of sanctification, grow in faith, grow in his ability to understand and trust God. And God's promises to Abraham, Paul affirms to us our important announcement of that good news that is tied to none other than Jesus Christ. The Genesis 12, 1 through 3 passage is highly important. So much so a professor of the Old Testament, Mr. Bruce Waltke, called it the thematic center of the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. He calls this the thematic center of it. It's so vital. That contains God's call to Abraham to leave his home as an old man, journey to a new land along with the promises that God would make him a great nation, make his name great so that he would be a blessing. God also promises to bless those who bless him and curse on those who curse him. And it concludes with the promise that all the people on the earth will be blessed by God through him. And Paul, instead of using that part to say all the people the word, instead, to make his argument a little bit more detailed, says all the Gentiles, all the Gentiles, to defute what these Judaizers were saying. The promise of the nations being blessed through Abraham, Abraham's faith is not just contained in 12.3. There are parallel verses in Genesis that say the same thing. Genesis 22.18. 22.18 says, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 26.4. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. Like I said, Paul knew what he was doing. Paul writes very well. He's introducing the language in these two passages of offspring, and it's going to be a key move in his argument, a key move. And we're going to see why next week as we work our way through chapter 3 more. And then verse 9, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul's conclusion is that those of faith are blessed together with Abraham, a man of faith that Jews and Gentiles alike can have access to this blessing. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much 
for this tremendous, this tremendous, powerful argument that Paul makes to these Galatian believers. We don't know how effective it was, but we know it stands the test of time. They got to hear it, we got to read it, and go over it, and we thank you so much of Paul pointing to you, God, and this plan that you had from centuries ago that we know this was always your plan, that you would bring the Son, the Son would die on the cross, He would rise from the dead, He would deliver the Holy Spirit to us, who would change us. May we never take that for granted. In your precious name we pray. Amen.